This week on What It Takes, how a Texas entrepreneur with fossil fuel roots came to see solar and storage as the future of energy. We want to talk about resiliency. Resiliency is solar and batteries, not oil fire generation with a wind up in the air that can get knocked down with just a little gust of wind. That's not resiliency. We're going to hear from Sonova CEO John Berger about how he convinced oil and gas diehards to take solar and batteries seriously. Berger nearly started his career at Coke Industries, where he had an internship out of school, but he gave that up to be an energy trader at Enron. We know what happened to Enron. When Enron went bust, Berger went off on his own, starting three clean energy companies. We are going to hear his story and how he ended up in residential solar. First, though, a big thanks to Mission Solar for helping bring you this podcast. You know, our guest this week founded a successful solar company in Texas in the heart of the oil industry. Well, Mission Solar is another example of that transition. Mission operates a 200-megawatt solar module plant in San Antonio, Texas, pumping out American-made solar panels for developers harnessing America's abundant solar resource. Find out more about Mission Solar's product line at missionsolar.com. Welcome to another edition of What It Takes, an interview series produced by Powerhouse in partnership with Green Tech Media. In this series, we hear from founders of the most influential clean energy companies about how they do it, their backgrounds, their passions, their struggles, their deals. This week, Powerhouse CEO Emily Kirsch talks with John Berger, the CEO of Sonova. Since launching in 2012, Sonova has become a top residential solar firm in the U.S., and it's put a ton of focus on batteries and resiliency. Berger's path is different than a lot of others in residential solar, who've mostly come from tech, the environmental world, or finance. Berger comes from power trading and oil and gas. Those are his roots. And once he realized how big solar could be, he spent a lot of his career convincing others in oil and gas. It appears to be working. Sonova has pulled in tens of millions of dollars from investors who once thought solar was laughable. This conversation was recorded live at Powerhouse's headquarters in Oakland. To learn more about future speakers and attending a live event, go to powerhouse.fund and click on the Events tab. Emily Fritzy, Powerhouse's Director of Strategy, gives some context, and then Emily Kirsch takes over. John started investing in clean energy in 2003 in Houston, Texas, which led him to start Standard Renewable Energy, a leading provider of renewable energy and energy efficiency products that sold in 2010. John then started Suncap Financial, a residential solar lease provider that sold in 2012. And because, clearly, glutton for punishment, he hadn't had enough of the solar coaster, John started Sonova Energy Corporation in 2012. Sonova Energy Corporation is a residential solar and storage financier with over 60,000 customers that provides 25-year service agreements for homeowners, solar, and storage systems. GTM Research reports that solar lending will become the number one consumer finance solution for residential solar systems in 2018. Coupled with an expanding residential storage market, Sonova Energy Corporation is on track to help meet the increasing demand for residential solar and storage financing. It's our pleasure to welcome John Berger, veteran energy entrepreneur and CEO of Sonova Energy. I'm going to turn it over to Emily Kirsch, founder and CEO of Powerhouse, who will lead the interview for tonight's What It Takes. So, John, uh, I heard from you that uh, you grew up in Bryan, Texas, and that's near Texas A&M. And Texas A&M is on one side of the tracks, the good side, and you grew up <laughs> on the wrong side. So tell us about what, what it was like growing up in Bryan, what you were like. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, it's, I think, growing up in a smaller town. So Bryan College Station is uh, it's like Minneapolis, St. Paul, except it's much smaller. And it's the home of Texas A&M University in terms of College Station. Um, Bryan's the other side. So Bryan was the, the, you know, the, the city that was the, the it thing. And College Station was this little bitty nothing. And in fact, when I was growing up, College Station offered to merge with Bryan. Bryan said, no, get away. <laughs> and then by the time I graduated from high school, Bryan asked College Station. And College Station said, no, we, we passed that point. Thank you. And so I grew up uh, uh, in Bryan. I went to Bryan High School. And yes, I did go to Texas A&M University. Just couldn't escape that. But it had a lot to do with the fact that I had to pay for college myself. And I had a job there. And 
uh, it was it was a great place to go, and and I can't believe how little I paid for the college. I'd, I'd really I have four kids, and I would love to pay that again for each four <laughs> kid. Believe me, uh, but uh, it, it was a small town, um, but it's also one of the fastest growing uh, towns and areas in the entire country. In fact, I had the lowest unemployment rate my entire childhood mm. in the entire United States. Um, just I used to joke it's because if you didn't have a job, it was so boring you left. As, as opposed to Austin, which is totally cool and everything's you know that uh, going on there is so much fun. But uh, Brian is uh, Brian's unique, and uh, it was it was a good place to grow and kind of get the feelings of being. Um, I was an entrepreneur's son, uh, son, and so you got to grow up in a household that it was in the construction business. You'd go out there, and Dad just put me out there, and he said, "Hey, you know, uh, make it happen." And there was no training program or anything else, and you had to you know, go out there and and really act like you knew what was going on and 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 make it uh make the business uh, occur and not get in any trouble um and uh it it really taught a lot to me about how to grow up as an entrepreneur uh, there's there's not a rule book there's no training program and you got to go out there and make it happen how old were you when you were working with your dad on construction sites i think i started when i was about nine um, and I, in fact, when I graduated from Texas A&M, I graduated with a civil engineering degree. I actually worked for the state my last, uh, in my last couple of years there, um, in, in, in terms of the highway department, the, the, the research arm of the Texas, uh, highway department. And, uh, I had had a 12 year, I look back and I had a 12 year career after, uh, I graduated from undergrad in construction. And so then I went straight into the energy business as my next career at the ripe age of 22. <laughs> and growing up with a father as an entrepreneur, what did you learn about entrepreneurship? One, it's hard, um, and the highs are high and the lows are really low. Um, and it takes a lot to get through that uh, period of time. And I, I would say that you know, in many cases, you're, you're on your own. Uh, you'd like to surround yourself with people that can help you and so forth, we'll probably talk about that later. But it, at the same time, it, it's, um, it, it's not for the faint of heart, and, it, and most people can't take it, uh, and, and that's okay. It doesn't make somebody you know, good or bad, but it, it, it's definitely the path less traveled, mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. It's hard, mm -hmm. and uh, it it's also can be the most gratifying, obviously, when you build something up. And even when you sell it, you at least know, say, hey, I built that. Mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't by you, just all by you, right? I have a lot of people that have helped me, um, investors, uh, fellow colleagues, and, and so forth over the years. And that's been you know, very rewarding. But at the same time, it's, it's a lot of what you go out and start doing yourself. And at the end of the day, that can be some lonely times. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Growing up with your dad's business, was it was it booming? Were there was money scarce? Was money that? was scarce. Money was scarce. Uh, and there's a little bit of that. I, I'm quite convinced that my dad, if he had actually gone to work for somebody, would have made a lot more money. Um, and uh, you know, that's in fact, I'm pretty certain of that. But that's not what he wanted to do, and he wanted to be his his own person and so forth. And and so, you know, I, I, you learn some good things about that experience and you learn some bad things. And, and one of those things is, is that you have to constantly think about the business and where it's going and what you want to do and, and really, you know, get out there and, and, and make it happen. Uh, it's a lot about people. It's not just about if you have the, the right process or you're the smartest person or you got the best technology. It's a lot about getting out there and making it happen with the people. Uh, and that's what I learned growing up is my dad was more the engineer. Mm -hmm. and, and I can say that because I am an engineer, too, by, by training and, and grew up that way. Uh, and it had to be more about the people. People make things happen and relationships make things happen. And um, my, my dad was a little bit more left brain in, gotcha. that, re in that respect. Yeah. So it made it, it made it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Were you entrepreneurial as a kid? Oh, yes. Yes. I got in lots of trouble, uh, broke every rule. So... Uh, if if there was golf balls, I grew up across the street in the golf course. I never learned how to play golf because it cost too much money. Um, couldn't afford that. But I used to get my uh, brother and sister, and we'd go collect all these golf balls, and we'd sell them back to the golfers. <laughs> um, I 
uh, started selling candy and started creating like going to wholesale um, candy shop where I'd walk up to the street and go buy all this wholesale candy and I'd sell it into the school. That was totally illegal. <laughs> and then I went to Walmart and got these uh, big hug drinks and I froze them and I got them and I was on the football team. I sold them to the football team. I sold them everywhere to the point where I cratered the cafeteria sales and drinks. <laughs> they came in to me and said, you can't, you, you, we figured you're this out. You're competing with like, us. You're competing with yeah. us. And I said, yeah, it's competition. It's what made Free this country market. great. Why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that, you really can't do that. You got to go see the principal. And I said, yeah, all right. I, it, but I kept doing it. And uh, it was a lot, you know, you mowed yards and then, you know, spent some time on the construction sites with my dad and so forth. And so it was really anything to make make money. Mm-hmm. And because you had to, I mean, there's no, there's no money coming to do anything. So you had to make it yourself. Yeah. yeah. So Texas A&M, civil engineering, why civil engineering? And then what'd you do after? Well, so civil engineering is one, that's what my dad was. And so we did geotechnical materials consulting. So if, for those of you who've ever seen these concrete cylinder things, you always want to know what they are. They're not landscaping blocks. They're actually testing concrete, like in these walls. And we put them in compression machines and we'd blow them up and see at really, at really high compression. You also have nuclear density machines where you, te- you go in there and you, you, know, you test the, um, you know, the, the, the dirt and everything else. So I knew all about that. And so that was a path of least resistance because I'm not really mathematically inclined that well. Um, and it's really, it was really tough for me. Uh, and so I thought, well, that's, I know that civil engineering uh, versus electrical engineering or me- mechanical or chemical and so forth. So I could probably have a higher GPA because I wanted to go to business school and, and, and ultimately wanted to go, I knew which business school I wanted to go to. And so um, I went and did civil engineering. The last one was, I, I'm a student of history, love history, and if you look at the darkest economic periods of the United States, uh, especially the Great Depression, what does the government do? It always puts money into infrastructure. So I thought even in the de- depths of the darkest moments, if I had my life, I could always get a job doing some sort of infrastructure building for the government. Very strategic of you. Yes. Um, so after... Ho- hopefully I don't need that. Oh, but, oh, yes. <laughs> but, uh, um, so after Texas A&M, um, what'd you do next? Uh, I got a job with a company that's loved by many, uh, Enron, and uh, <laughs> yes, yes, Enron, uh, the evil empire. Uh, so I, I actually grew up, uh, like I said, in Bryan, and I was going to go off to MBA school and, and get actually a master in science of petroleum engineering and then go to Paris and get an MBA. And so I was all teed up, and then this, uh, this gentleman, the professor, came in and said, hey, if this company Enron gives you a job, you should go do it. And so I was interviewing for an internship in between before I went to Paris, and I got a job uh, with Coke Industries out of Wichita uh, to go up there and work in uh, Charles Koch's uh, finance group. Uh, and, and there's not many people that want to go to Wichita. I mean, no offense against Wichita because I grew up in Bryan. There's not many people that want to go to Bryan either. But... Uh, <laughs> So I was all ready to go, and then Enron called and said, how would you like to be the first Texas A&M grad um, that would go in the analyst associate program? And I, and I said, I thought I wasn't good enough, because they told me I wasn't good enough. They are like, yeah, yeah, we kind of messed that up. So would you like to come? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And so when I got there the first day, they, I remember going up the internal staircase. They said, uh, you're going to work nights and weekends on the power, and this thing called power trading desk. And I thought, that's, I thought that's why I worked really hard at A&M is I wouldn't have to work nights and weekends, but that's what I did. And so I got put on the power trade disc. I thought I was getting sent out on the platform in the Gulf, you know, the oil platform. And I got into the power business right away and loved it uh, and really loved what was going on. Deregulation was happening, consumer choice and so forth. And so it was really an interesting period of time. And there's all sorts of different stories. But uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I, my last day was in August of 01, and Enron collapsed, uh, filed for bankruptcy in December 2nd, I think, of 01. What so was, I clipped it out. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, I didn't know anything. I get I that, questions that all the time. That was my next question, I, John. I, I really appreciate <laughs> Wait, that. wait, let's not rush past this. Um, the, what, what, did, did you have any inclination of what was happening, especially towards the end? Um, no. I was 26 years That's old. not a very convincing Well, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. So what I thought was I knew we were making the most, for power trading, we were making the most money for the, for the company. And I knew enough people around there that I knew that's not sustainable. I don't care if you're trading stocks or anything else. 
if you're winning four years in a row, the probability you're going to win the fifth is, is not really high. And it keeps diminishing, right, as, as you just look at, look at the math. And so I thought we were headed for a really rough time where the power trading and the gas trading really wasn't going to do very well. Um, and boy, we had some scares. I mean, power trading is crazy. Um, you can't store it until recently, right? Um, and, and it really is extremely volatile. Uh, and so uh, I, I thought we were going to have some rough times. And I thought, you know what, this is a good time. I left. And, and, and yes, I did sell all my stock options at 75 and 5 eighths um, and, and dumped it because I got married and I needed a lot more money and so forth. And I thought it was a great time to sell. And it so was. it was. It was a great time to sell. It was a great time to leave the company, but I didn't think it was going to go bankrupt. Mm. What was it like when it did? Uh, when it went bankrupt? Yeah, for you. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a gut, gut punch. Yeah. Um, because so much, I don't care who you are and what company it is, you know, if you work that long in some place and you put that many hours into it and you have that many friends, to see something totally collapse like that, uh, it, will, it will change you. And it will certainly... It, it, it certainly has an impact. You go from, you know, imagine this, and, and well, some of the folks that worked at Lehman Brothers, uh, it was a really good thing to put on your resume, and then suddenly it wasn't. Um, and Matt, you know, just think about that. And you've for been an entrepreneur you know, ever since. Um, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> couldn't go back to corporate life after that. That kind of cured me of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, a lot of lessons learned that I take forward in life. Um, but uh, it, it certainly was difficult to, to see that kind of carnage. And, and I think more importantly, I think it goes to the responsibility of leadership to make sure that things do, like that do not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it really changed. I don't know if it changed me, but it certainly changed my view as far as like the responsibility of leadership is, is huge. And uh, you can't guarantee that things are going to go well. But I think we could all agree uh, at, at, in that particular case that there was a lot of things that were that could have been done by leadership mm-hmm. that wouldn't have led to so many uh, painful outcomes for families. Yeah. So after the risk and failure of Enron, you decided to start a clean energy venture fund in 2003 to invest at the early stage in Houston. Yes. So you definitely did not have enough risk before and you wanted more and started yeah. this fund. Tell us about that. Well, it, it, and you know, before that, you know, in, uh, in business school, so I actually got a job at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and this is when the turmoil from Enron's collapse and then a bunch of the other like, independent power companies uh, were, were heading, like NRG was heading into bankruptcy and so forth. That was really interesting. And so I thought, you know what, a lot of things are going to change here because I will tell you that ultimately, you know, we'll get into this later, I think, but where I see the energy business going because of solar and batteries is I didn't know exactly what the technology was, but sitting on the Enron trade desk, I knew the current environment and the way that we uh, use and consume energy was unsustainable, that it wasn't working uh, and it wasn't going to work and it was going to dramatically change. And so what I started doing at at business school was actually coming out here and in Boston, which was not that, you know, I lived there uh, and saying to all the venture capital uh, firms, energy is going to be the place to be, not a place to be, the place to be. We're about to see a huge boom. Uh, we did, uh, I remember doing the honeymoon in Southeast Asia, and I recognized that the difference between, not, not entirely, but in largely, between the have and have nots was energy and access to clean, affordable energy. And so I came back from that trip, actually, and so my last few months at Enron, I actually quit the power trading desk and went to work in venture capital. And so... You know, when, when I got to the business school and I started doing with all these VCs, I felt like they weren't really moving in the right direction fast enough and towards energy. Uh, so I wanted to start my own thing. And, you know, it wasn't my own thing. I had a couple of other you know, folks that started with it, but that's, that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. And Houston was a great place. It's the, in, you know, the energy capital of the world. At least we like to think so. Uh, we're trying to hold on to that, and I'm really working hard uh, to make sure that we change with it and, uh, and keep that. But it's a low-cost area, very, um, uh, it's the most demographically diverse city hmm. in the entire United States. Wow, I didn't know that. Most people would think it's actually out here or New York, and it's not. It's hmm. Houston. Wow. And so that's been a really big reason for our success is the diversity. Hmm. Uh, and so it was a great place to grow up a, a company, and so I started... And I, I knew it because I was from there, so I started back in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did the how did the seed fund go? Uh, not well. 
No. Uh, I, I had some, uh, some good wins on, on some of the technology side of things, both oil and gas. Uh, and I did one oil and gas deal, and then I did uh, renewable technologies, uh, fuel cells of all things. Made money on that, believe it or not. And then um, I did biofuels. I did biodiesel. Total disaster. And to this day, I will always say, if you come forward with a biofuel deal, you could literally prove to me that you turn lead into gold, and I still wouldn't invest in it. Uh, it's just if you've, been, you know, if you've gone through that horrific of a, of a crash, you just it scars you for life. Mm-hmm. And so biofuels can't do that anymore. No offense, but it was just a it was a big failure. Uh, but in the um, ener- energy service, or what we now know as uh, originator installer, that business actually did very well. Um, right after I replaced the management team with myself. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a learning experience, but that, that ended up doing well and started the, the path forward to Sonova. So you joined one of the companies that was in your portfolio. Yes. And yeah. took it over and ran it and then and, and sold it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I remember, and, and every venture capitalist has this moment where you go into the partnership meeting and you go, we're this millions of dollars into this and the CEO doesn't, doesn't get it. And it, it was not really his fault. It would basically taking a, um, a, a person and, and team members all the way through that had built or had been running an 80 year old, $600 million a year, North American services business, and then put them with a blank sheet of paper with some money and say, go after it. My mistake, two very different types of people. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of funny in hindsight because it all worked out well, but it wasn't funny at the time. So I walked in with the financial statements one day and I said, hey, what's going on here? And he's like, I don't have a system. I don't have like an ERP system and all this other stuff. And I said, we have five customers. Your system could be writing their names and numbers on your hand. Mm-hmm. You need more customers. Mm-hmm. Like you need to get out there and get some customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I knew it was all over. And I said, I, you know, I got us into this. I'll get us out. So I dropped down, turned it around, raised some money, and then um, you know, grew the business quite considerably and sold it a couple of years later. Mm. How was the sale? It was good. Yeah, we did well. I mean, my, my uh, investor, my majority stock investor had a really bad time in the financial crisis. Um, and, but, uh, you know, so I got sold to raise cash. It's a golden rule. Um, he has gold makes the rules. Got that. Mm-hmm. Learned that, uh, really quick. And mm-hmm. so I didn't want to, I didn't want to let it go, but at the same time it was a good sale for him and made, made a lot of money. I made a little money and we moved on to Suncap. Mm-hmm. And so, and it sounds like pretty soon after you went right into Suncap, uh, what made you want to go right into another company? I needed money. There's <laughs> a Sensing constant a thing theme. here. You know, I was having, I was having, you know, you have kids and you get married, you have kids and you have these responsibilities. Like you don't get a chance to like detox and, you know, like decompress and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like you, you have to get up and go. But some would say, some would say, okay, you got married, you have kids. Now you need a stable job. You need to go work, not at Enron or a startup, but well, that's fair. But, but you said, I have, I have these responsibilities, but I'm going to start another company. I'm going to take on that risk and go collect golf balls again. Like what was the, what was the thinking there? It was that I saw, you know, when I, when I did standard, I, we did what we call energy services company model. And so what we were doing then was we were doing energy audits and we're getting more in the energy efficiency side. So high efficiency, air conditioning, high insulation, all the, all this, all the stuff that you guys are familiar with. And then I, I thought I'd mix in solar. Like you do all that other stuff first and then you do solar and only if it works. But remember I'm from Houston, solar's not gonna work. I mean, everybody knows you don't make money in solar. And so uh, my surprise was when I started to realize was 85, when I sold the company, 85% of our revenues were solar. And then I looked at it and said, you know what, this is really solid state disruption of the energy business. These are just dumb chips, that's what this is we are going to drop the cost down to nothing. Um, my first, uh, the, the, the first time I paid for solar panels was standard. I paid $5 and 50 cents a watt. I don't know if how many of you remember those days. I just dated myself really <laughs> immensely, but, uh, and, and now of course you can get, you know, panels. I mean, at some point if we didn't have the Trump tariffs, hate those. Um, and it, we'd be paying somewhere around, you know, right underneath 30 cents a watt. Right. I mean, it's pretty terrific. And, and that's, that's what I saw. And so I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to go in and do another company completely different. Um, but 
I want to stay in solar because mm-hmm. solar is, is where it's at and it's going to do a lot more than people mm-hmm. think. And what was the outcome for SunCap Financial? That was good. Yeah. It, there's a trend. I hope it continues <laughs> or it gets bigger and better, uh-huh. but that was good. Um, obviously can't say what it, what it was, but, uh, you know, we, we ended up selling fairly quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I think everybody knows you can go on the website and figure out who SunCap's you know, name belongs to. It's, you know, it's a major IPP located if in New Jersey. You can't say it. I can. It's NRG. Yes, it was NRG. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, you know, we sold the NRG fairly quickly and then that gave me the platform, um, uh, to start snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a third time you said, I want to do this again and started and started Sonova. And what was the thinking at that time? One, I need more money. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and two, you know, it, Suncap was worked better than I thought it would. Hmm. Uh, and I, and I didn't want to let that one go either. Uh, but you know, there's, there's these things called contracts and you have them and you have need to follow them. And so you so, didn't want to sell Suncap? What's that? You didn't want to sell Suncap? I did not. Okay. I did not. Uh, but um, that didn't really matter because, you know, you have a contract that says if you will sell at this it, in certain cases. So um, so I did, uh, but it worked. I mean, Suncap, we did phenomenally well uh, financially. And so it, it was something I looked at and said, you know what? We just need to do this again, but bigger which is Sonova. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and did you, were you able to go into that right away? And if so, how? Uh, fairly quickly. Yeah. I always most start most meetings uh, with uh, potential investors and saying, let me just get this out of the way really quickly. I had a very short non-compete. I'll never get that deal again in my life. And the reason is because Sonova. Um, it was very short. And so within a matter of eight months, I was back, back into it, closed funding and moved ahead. Mm-hmm. Doing a business very similar to Suncap. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was pretty similar to yeah. say, yeah, it was exact. Yeah. And, and with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the same people and uh-huh. because I valued people, mm-hmm. uh, very highly. And so I negotiated something where I could take everybody within that period of time. Wow. And I did. Yeah. Um, and so this is a perfect time to say, uh, what is Sonova? Sonova is a residential, uh, solar and storage service provider. And you're unique for a lot of reasons, one of which is storage has been a part of the offering from the early days. Tell us about that. Well, it, it comes from just the background in energy um, and specifically power for, for me. I always knew the problem that I had with solar was that you couldn't store it. And if you look at, you know, at the end of the day, it's really simple. Hydrocarbons are very effective and have been very if you, aside from the environmental implications, but the, the economics, because the BTUs were cheap uh, and you could store BTU very cheaply. And so if you look at oil, that's why oil's dominated for over 100 years. And so if you solve the energy side of things, which we have with solar now in terms of cost effectiveness, but we have yet to solve the storage, but it's coming quick. Once you solve that, there's nothing that can beat you. Mm. I mean, you become the oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have long known that. And so as soon as I could get in early, that's what started my interest in fuel cells, was trying to figure out how to manage more of the storage aspects of energy and, and specifically power. And so when we started getting into the solar side, you know, or we started the company, I always was looking for storage. In fact, at a Goldman conference, I, I think I can say this openly, but uh, that was at three plus years ago, somebody who was clearly hostile to our industry stood up and said, if, can you ever make solar uh, work long-term without storage? And, and I have really trouble uh, lying, which is always good, um, I think, for people around me. And I said, no, you need storage. Mm-hmm. You got to have to have mm-hmm. it. Um, another unique part of your offering, so you serve over 60,000 customers across the country, many of whom are in not mainland U.S., but in U.S. territories, so Puerto mm. Rico and Guam, and um, given everything that happened in Puerto Rico with Maria and the energy infrastructure that was just broken, tell us about what role is Sonova playing in U.S. territories and why U.S. territories? Well, why U.S. territories is because there's there's those regions specifically islands that that needs need us solar and and storage more than anybody else um and i have a strong belief 
one that I, I sense a lot. I, I think everybody deserves the same access uh, to clean, affordable energy that is more resilient. I'm going to use resilient in the proper way, um, not to swap coal for, for gas or gas for coal, but it, it, to really have more reliability. And I think that, you know, it, it's been very difficult to finance those, those areas, mainly because banks don't really know about them and really don't want to. Uh, and I believe in the people of Puerto Rico, of Guam and Saipan are just as important as anybody from California or Texas. And I strongly believe in that. And so for us to go in there was more about the mission of the company that we are going to take and we are gonna change the world and we're gonna, but we're gonna change the world for everybody, regardless of what you look at, look like, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you live. And I think that you know, we've done that in some small way. We've got a lot, a lot of work left to do, but we've done that in some small way. Um, and then the other part of this is, I mentioned the demographic diversity of Houston. We started hiring some Spanish-speaking people really by accident, and I noticed that our customers liked that, and I asked, does anybody else speak Spanish in our competition? And the answer came back, no. And I said, then we're gonna do it. Let's roll it out in a big way. Um, and that got, led us into Puerto Rico. And so this is 2013. Mm -hmm. So we were in Puerto Rico. Now, you know, it's, it's an it's a area of focus. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, when Maria was coming, uh, coming ashore, I was walking the halls of the White House and uh, talking about, hey, this is a big deal. It's going to be a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions. Um, and it was the, as the days were, you know, as the day wore on, people started to realize how what a big, big problem this is. But what we started to do was before that is buy, start to buy batteries globally. You couldn't buy much of anything. Uh, that's changing now because a lot of due to Puerto Rico. But we we gathered as many batteries as we could and shipped them as fast as we could into San Juan. Mm -hmm. um, and the place, I mean, we were fearful fearful for our customers' lives, our employees' lives. Um, we didn't connect with a lot of employees for a week because communication was completely mm -hmm. severed. And trying to get in and land planes, it, it, you know, it was it was a complete it was a disaster zone. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we had to do as a company and grow up very quickly and respond to uh, really a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not saying that we've been perfect at it, but we certainly have done and we put everything we had into it and continue to do until. Um, you know, we'll get everybody back up to where they were. Uh, and, and I'm also proud to say that not a single Puerto Rican customer has paid one penny, not mm -hmm. one penny, to have their solar system repaired. Mm -hmm. I'm also proud to say for those folks who said that it, uh, solar got wiped out, like your windstorm comes and everything, all the junk goes off the roof. You saw some of those testimonies for Congress. Wrong. We got hit uh, at most 25% of our systems and very, very few, less than 2%, actually got completely wiped out. Hmm. You wanna talk about resiliency? Resiliency is solar and batteries, not oil fire generation with a lineup in the air that can get knocked down with just a little gust of wind. That's not resiliency and that's not the future. Hmm. The future is here and the future is solar and storage. Hey folks, a lot more to come with John Berger, who's going to talk about those meetings with oil and gas investors early on, and also detail his vision for the radical shift in energy that's underway. First, I've got a quick story to share with you about our sponsor, Mission Solar. Frank Pham creates ideas in a particular way. His best inventions don't come in the middle of the day. They come at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when he's sleeping. He's had the habit ever since he was a 22-year-old engineering student. I would wake up and... Uh... Like a true nerd, I would grab my notebook and I would jot down things that uh, that I dream of. And that's where a lot of my uh, ideas and innovation comes around that time frame. So. Today, Frank is head of engineering at the American PV panel maker Mission Solar. He's also the plant manager. And he's still waking up a lot these days in the middle of the night as Mission works on a new line of high-powered solar modules. <laughs> that's a secret that uh, now that you know. 
Frank and the mission team are putting the finishing touches on four new high-watt solar panel models. A lot goes into making those high-powered panels durable. Waking up in the middle of the night and jotting down ideas is just a start. Mission has an R&D facility at its Texas headquarters, and the modules are conceived, designed, tested, and proven right here in the United States. Finally, after hurling hunks of metal, flames, and even a tank at its panels for the better part of a year, Mission Solar is getting ready to release them to the industry. And uh, the plant is uh, gearing up uh, to start mass producing the new product comes this uh, November. Installers can get their hands on them in January, but they can look at them even sooner at the Solar Power International Conference coming up in Anaheim. That's the biggest solar event of the year, and Mission Solar will have the new panels dreamt by Frank and his team on display. So hope to see all the installers and uh, anybody that is interested in learning a little bit about solar and uh, would put up and and listen to some uh, engineering stories that I, I would love to be able to share with them. Well, hold on a sec. Don't keep us hanging, Frank. Do you have any big ideas for new solar designs you can tell us about? I, I have a few, but we'll keep that uh, for uh, in about six or seven months. Hopefully some of that uh, ideas will come to uh, fruition and we can prove it out in the concept and feasibility phase. <laughs> Mission Solar. American solar modules made in Texas, imagined at two o'clock in the morning. The new product line from Mission, featuring three types of high-watt perk modules that boost energy production using the backside of the cell and a new monocrystalline module, are going to be displayed at Solar Power International. Go say hi to Frank and the rest of the team at Mission Solar at booth 1512 inside and 6039 outside. And if you want to just look online, head over to missionsolar.com. And so going back to those early days when you just started the company, um, what did that look like in the early days? At one point you were working out of a living room? Yeah, at downtown Houston apartment, yeah. <laughs> um, and the, and the big, one of the big decisions, we were talking about this earlier, the big decision was to buy this. Somebody had squatted on the Sonova.com name was to spend $2,000 to get Sonova.com. And that's kind of funny now because it's probably worth a little bit more than that. But uh, it... <laughs> It was a big decision for us to do that, but and, and just come, even come up with the name, it was it was a really big effort. But you know, we that was our office. We met in a living room, and we had structured meetings and structured times. And I had all these meetings set up with potential investors and so forth. And you you had to you had to treat it like a business because that's what you hoped it was going to be. Yeah, where did the money first come from? Uh, to uh, oil and gas families. Was that not controversial? Uh, well, I think it's been controversial in the industry. But, <laughs> you know, look, I, I, I said uh, I'm, I'm proud of getting a bunch of oil and gas money. Um, I work hard to go get that money, believe me. <laughs> and I want a lot more of it. And, and the reason is, is that there's been a lot of success, uh, you know, whether you love it or not, but a lot of financial success in the oil and gas. And there's a lot of really talented folks that have built big companies in oil and gas and so forth. And we need them to start putting their money in this space uh, for us to really make it and really change the energy business. And so it's a big part of it is, is I'm, I'm really proud that we have a, a good chunk of my investors and board members, you know, for pretty much what so-called oil and gas or conventional uh, power investors. Yeah. I think that's key for this industry to, to, to grow and thrive. Yeah. When you raised uh, your first round, do you remember how much you raised? Uh, not ex- not exactly, but yeah. roughly about, um, I think it was roughly about 30 million. And that included, that was uh, not just, that was not just equity. No, it, yeah. well, it was, it was equity and asset level equity. And then we yeah. had to go raise some debt behind that. That was, that's funny because I got it from Texas banks. You want to go try to sell solar about five years ago to Texas banks. Good <laughs> luck with that. I, I, I had one meeting where the guy said, if it wasn't for the, these guys, and it was, it was the family office that backed us, um, he said, I, I just got to tell you, I would not take this meeting. And, and I, I don't even know why I'm still here. And I was like, okay, thank you for your time. Um, and, but he ended up lending money wow. uh, to, the, to the company. And uh, it was it, it's something that you know, all the bankers are like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. I'm lending money to a solar company. And I'm like, yes, that's right. It's, it worked out. <laughs> and by the way, they've all made money. Every one of them. And I, 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 I was very happy that during the, uh, not because the price of oil crashed in, uh, in 14 and 15, but through that all period of time, a lot of those banks didn't get paid by a lot of oil mm. companies, but solar paid the bills mm. on time, every mm. time. Mm. 
Um, how did you get your first customers? Uh, we, we have partners. We work through a, a, a dealer model, a, a partner model, um, and we're sticking with that. Uh, we, I, I, I believe in, in partnership and I believe in relationships and, and, I, and I believe more importantly in focus. And I, ask, I, get, I get asked a lot about what's the number one thing that differentiated or made you successful versus others. It's one word, it's focus. And I, I think it's a bit arrogant to say that sitting in Houston or Oakland that I can run crews to go and originate and install solar and storage in New Jersey just as well as somebody that grew up in New Jersey and knows New Jersey and has lived in New Jersey. And so we, we had the partnership model from day one. We did that with Suncap. And so we brought, we, uh, it took me longer than I thought it would. It's, it's actually not easy to flip back and forth. Both, both the service providers and the, and the contractors think you can flip back and forth very easily. It doesn't work that way for either one of us. And so it took me longer uh, to get a lot of my uh, relationships back. But um, we did it, and some of the first ones. In fact, in January of 13, I think I originated one customer. Mm -hmm. And then is that when you started the company? Was in 2013? Uh, we got funded. We got funded the the day before Thanksgiving on November 12. It's a nice Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I think we officially started like December 3rd or something like that. And then we it, we did not commence operations till January. Gotcha. Um, were you paying yourselves at the time? You and how many people are on the team with, let's say, in that first eight months of the company? Well, we did, you know, we did the old thing. We grew headcount by 100%, you know, after you get funded. Um, you go from, like, uh, six people to 12, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't fund, we didn't pay ourselves. In fact, you're writing, you're writing checks into it uh, until you get funded in November. And then, then you, take, you know, take some money out. So I made sure everybody got back pay. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there on, we were hiring folks like crazy. Uh, to, for for the launch, yeah. and then we, you know, everybody was getting paid. Yeah. When you did raise that capital, what did it allow you to do that you couldn't do before when you were actually giving money to the company rather than getting it? I could pay my bills at home. Oh, that's, that's important. <laughs> you know that that's a, that is important. I mean, I, I a lot of support from the family and so forth um, to to you know do that. But there's there's obviously limits at some point in time. You mm -hmm. you have to bring the money in mm -hmm. the door. And so that, that, that enabled uh, that to happen and work. And that wasn't just me. It was everybody else as we just you know, spoke about, about the other people working. And then you could you know, st you know, do IT, you know, set up IT programs, you know, write the software code and everything else, and then fund customers, mm -hmm. you know, fund the, the, the solar systems and so forth mm -hmm. that we're, we're deploying. You mentioned having a supportive family. Tell me a bit about that because not one but three startups. And uh, just what, 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 was the, what was that like? You you should interview my wife. I'm happy to, happy to. <laughs> um, it, it, it my wife's a, my wife's an angel. She's she's gone through a lot. She's continues to go through a lot. We, in fact, we just uh, a few days ago was our 18th wedding anniversary. Oh, happy so anniversary! That, yeah, thank you. Uh, more to her uh, to put up with me <laughs> for 18 years. But uh, you know, I I wanted to I wanted to marry a daughter of an entrepreneur uh, because the. Let's be honest, the divorce rate's pretty high on entrepreneurs. And going through three, I mean, look, if you're like um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg or something, you just hit it out of the park in the first time, I mean, you're probably going to stay married. I mean, that, that's going to be okay. There's no stress, really, that ever really occurred there. But if you have to go through like the rest of us, the vast majority of us, then you go through these, including failures. You know, I talked about the biodiesel, but including failures, that's, that's a, big, that's a dig, big difference, mm -hmm. and that's a different game. Uh, and so I wanted to uh, uh, intentionally, uh, I, I set out to marry a daughter of an entrepreneur, and, uh, and I did. And that has been very helpful. Uh, and uh, my father-in-law has been very supportive. My brother-in-laws are entrepreneurs. My sister-in-law is even an entrepreneur. So it's all a bunch of entrepreneurs. And so that's extremely helpful. And so my wife's been very understanding all through the years, raising four kids. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not there a lot of times. Even if I'm in town, I'm not there because I have to be at the office. And so that's it's really tough, but it, my most important decision in being success uh, in business is 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 Kristen, who I chose to marry. It's oh, very sweet. Shout out to Kristen. Um, how did you know how to do all of this? I didn't. <laughs> you, you know, nobody does. Everybody says, "Well, you know, I know how to do this," and like you're not really telling the truth. Um, 
you, you, you go in and you just make it happen. I mean, it goes into my, my dad's training program gr- growing up in construction was you just drop you in the deep water and see if you swam or sank. Um, while holding the hammer. While holding the hammer. Um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of funny stories I have. But one time I showed up and I might have stayed out late, real late, drink, might have had a few more of those beers than you guys. <laughs> and, uh, and I get to the construction site and we're building this huge, um, I want to say it was, a, uh, I think it was like a Sam's Club, Walmart. And they're doing these piers, and they drill these piers down. They pour the concrete on. That's where the, the, the store sits on there. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was supposed to go inspect the, the pier as they, they pour it in. And it's, it, that matters. Like, if it's not done right, the foundation collapses, and you kind of got a problem. And so I, I didn't know what I was doing. I looked down the hole, and I was, I was pretty hungover, too. And the superintendent came over and goes, son? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, and, he, and I'm looking at the hole. He's looking at it. He goes, do you have any idea what you're doing? And I said, Truth? He goes, yes. And I said, I have no idea. He goes, okay, here's what you need to do. You see those little trimmings down there? You need to tell me to get them out. So I'm going to go over there, and you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you no, and you're going to say, yes, get it out. I was like, thank you so much. Wow. So it's the kindness of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. I played the role, and I was like, get this stuff out of here like I told you. And <laughs> all of a sudden it became really it, serious, it, it, really serious. And, and, uh, and so that's a lot, that's, you know, that, that is a story in entrepreneurship is yeah. like, if you come in there, there's a little bit like fake it till you make it. And, uh, there's a lot to that. But at the same time as after you do the third, you know, the second company even, or maybe even the first, certainly now the third, you, you kind of know what's going on until you start getting up to a size, uh, that, that you never been there before. Mm-hmm. And that has a whole set of different challenges about it. the company is changing now can you change? Mm-hmm. So clearly Sonova has had and continues to have a ton of success. Um, and I'm curious if, if it's all been fairly easy. And if not, what were your darkest moments? Did you ever think you were going to have to close the doors? Well, I, I think, I mean, is easy? No way. Uh, you know, I, I would say that you know, solar's not the easiest and, and energy's not the easiest place to make, make money. Especially in Houston. Especially in Houston, yeah, solar. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's never easy. And, and doing something that no one's ever done before, as we, you know, all of you, it sounds like you're probably a part of this um, crusade, that's really tough. There's no, even my friends that have built oil and gas companies and sold them and so forth, they can't say they were the first ones that built an oil and gas company successfully. Um, now they can, you know, they can be successful at it, but they, they can't say they did something that no one else has done before. Maybe the early fracker guys and so forth, but that's about it. And so what we're doing is extremely difficult because there's no roadmap. There's nothing that says, hey, this is how it sort of should look. And that creates a lot of difficulties, um, namely financing. Uh, Wall Street doesn't know whether you really should exist or not. Right. I mean, that's a you know, criticism that we have to constantly live through as the solar industry. And and what that leads to is, is that you, you every day I fear failure every day, no matter what the balance sheet says and what the income statement says, you fear failure because one, this industry moves lightning fast. And by the way, it's picking up speed in terms of the change big time. Uh, and if you feel that way, like Andy Grove said, only the paranoid survive probably dated myself there too, but, uh, I believe that. And if you operate that way, then I think that you'll be successful, that you're always looking to see how my, how could I fail? How could I fail? How could I fail? And you plan ahead and you have multiple options. And yes, that's the trader in me is to try to have some different options, different cards to play. Energy and trader, not energy trader. trader. Yeah. 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 Energy trader. Um, options that you would be able to deploy because you never know when those that plan that you thought which happens often doesn't work Mm. and then what are you going to do then and so it it, to me it's it's always always thinking that you're just a step away from failure because when you think that you've made it and you're on top of the world go see enron you know (laughs) go see lehman go see all these guys go see the utilities they think they're on top of the world Mm. they got another thing coming Mm. Speaking of, where are you going to be and where is Sonova going to be in five years? Well, I don't know. That, uh, for, for me personally, I want to be here. This is what I want to do with my Meaning life. Powerhouse? You want to be at Powerhouse? Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I want to be back here at Powerhouse if, you, if you'll invite me back. Um, you know, but uh, I, I want to, personally, I want to be with Sonova. Um, it's, yeah, is it, is it my baby and so forth? Absolutely. Now it's a bunch of people's babies and, and, and that's great. Uh, but 
ultimately, obviously, my shareholders and my board decide whether I, you know, I'm still employed by the end of this interview, and uh, <laughs> and that's and that's their prerogative, and that's the way the world works. And so I I work hard every day to try to justify their trust in me, and so hopefully that continues. Um, but I, I would say that the energy business is entering a period, has entered a period of dramatic change. And it's difficult for us is the way that we think as, as humans that we think change happens in a linear fashion, except there's never been any technology in the history of the world that's ever been adopted in linear fashion. It's all been the S-curve that we, I think, know so much about. But it's really fascinating is there's very few of us that really think through and, and actually look at the world through that lens. And so I think that we're about to experience um, tremendous change, tremendous change. And yes, will the old guard be under huge duress and so forth because they, they don't embrace change. They don't embrace consumers. They don't embrace technology. Yes. And we, all of us, in doing our part, wherever it is in the value chain, we're going to, I think we'll see a lot of success. And there'll be more, some of us that will win more than others. That's, that's life. Um, I hope to be obviously working hard to be one of those ones that, that continues to win. But uh, I, I, I think that we will see a global transformation in the energy business. And, and, and I hope, and my vision is to see Sonovas be one of those leaders leading that global change. Well, you're certainly a pioneer in it. Um, I'm sure that will continue. And we are going to move into our high voltage round. So these are quick questions, quick answers. Question number one is, if you were going to be an animal, what animal would you be and why? <laughs> well, remember that I, I, I'm in Houston, and I've grown up where I've, I'm the solar guy, uh, and and that's tough. That's tough. I mean, I was I was telling uh, I was telling Emily that you know I, a few years ago it's been it's it's getting better. It's getting better. Folks are seeing it, uh, but uh, even three or four years ago, you know, I had four kids uh, as I mentioned. And I'd have people come up to charity events and say, hey, um, you have four kids, right? I'm like, yeah. Uh, you're in solar, right? Yeah. Do you need a job? <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of tough. And so you, you got to be thick uh, skinned and you got you to gotta be resilient and, and you got to be aggressive. And not, you, you got to go after things. And, you're, you're not, and so my animal would be great white shark. Wow. Hardcore. I thought you were going to go like porcupine or something with like. No, nope, not going to go porcupine. <laughs> yeah. You got We have a lot of we have a lot of fight left to do. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the big fight is coming. Yeah. Believe me. And uh, you're going to need somebody. Um, we're going to need a lot of sharks out there to go after those folks and win. Yeah, I like it. Uh, what inspires you? Well, uh, you know, hmm. In in terms of inspiration. One, I, I do believe I do believe in a higher power, and I believe, by the way, that everybody uh, there's multiple paths to the same ending, um, and so embrace all religions, and uh, and so I do believe in that, and that's inspirational. Um, in in the darkest moments, there's a saying that there's no, and whether it is or isn't, but there's no atheists in the foxhole in, in a war. I think it's difficult to not have that higher power at least from my perspective, and be an entrepreneur because there are some foxhole <laughs> moments, right? <laughs> and, and so that's inspirational. But I think the people, uh, whether the customers or investors, um, lenders, employees, colleagues, you know, it, it, those are the people that inspire me more to keep going. I mean, at the end of the day, you have, at least I have an enormous amount of um, debt that I owe them some cases, I guess the lenders literally, but uh, it's in more responsibility to, to make sure that I do everything I can to make them, um, you know, be able to put food on the table and be successful and, and achieve their dreams. And when I see people going out there and working together in teams and making things happen that's never happened before, like solar and storage, uh, it, that's inspirational. If you were to start a new career tomorrow, what would it be? I can't think of anything I'd do. Uh, you know what? There, there's, there's some things I'd like to change in Washington. I'll tell you that much. Um, and I'm from Texas. Um, so <laughs> I think I can get a lot of people on my side on this uh, and in this state. But I'd like to go change a lot of things in Washington. Absolutely. Other than yourself, to whom do you attribute your success? Um, a lot of my success goes back, uh, goes back to my wife. 
When have you failed? Well, I fail often. I fail every day. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, it goes back and, and answering that question is I, I fear failure every single day. Um, I talked about the, the biodiesel failure. You know, I, I still have some nightmares about that, just to be honest, uh, you know, as I have been with everything. But that's open. I guess that's kind of an open moment, right? You're trying to get that. But, yeah, I still have. You know, that's, that certainly was a big failure that, um, you know, that's the one that that's the one I had, wish I had back. Yeah. When are you your best self? Uh, I have to say that others would have would say that when the chips are down, uh, the bullets are flying, proverbially, hopefully not literally. <laughs> uh, that's when I'm best. Is is that's when you come in and you've got to keep your calm, get everybody on the page, and mobilize. And and I've done it several times. Uh, and it's it's who I am. It's I'm best in a crisis. Hmm. What is your worst trait? My worst trait. There's, we don't. Uh, you want to enter this interview tonight? I mean, <laughs> uh, my I can worst. Call Kristen if you. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, she. So yeah, you'll. But you'll be here all night. Yeah. Uh, you know, I. You know, I. I think maybe. It, it, there's there's a lot of things that I have shortcomings on, and you got to continuously change. When you stop changing, you know, you you really r- risk failure. Um, you know, I, I can, I try to listen, uh, and, and really, I mean, a lot of people say, it, but I really try to listen. And I think that's been a key for my success and, 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 and moving the, as the company's changed to move up. But, you know, there, there's several times where maybe I didn't listen enough. Uh, there are certainly times where, um, I, I should have, maybe I was too loyal in, in some cases, to, and you, know, you should let things go a little bit more. Um, it was maybe, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're too aggressive. You know, you're going out there and like, I'm going to make solar on every rooftop, you know, next year, and that doesn't happen. And so there's plenty there's plenty of those type of failures. But, uh, uh, you know, like I said, they're too numerous to list, but those are those are some of them. And I, and I, and I will tell you that I try to improve on that every single day. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm human, and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. If there was just one person listening to this podcast, who would you want it to be? Well, after I mentioned my wife so many times, it's got to be her. Yes, (laughs) it's got to be. That's that. That's who I would say, and and hopefully my kids could could listen in as well. Um, If your life was a hashtag, what hashtag would it be? Hmm. Hashtag change the world. Finish these sentences for me. Companies fail because? No focus. Success is? Hmm. Success can be defined many different ways. Um, I would say success is, is that if, you've, if you have changed the world in at least some small way, you've, you've left an impact when you leave this earth that there's something better about this place than once you know, before you came. Um, and people can say good things about how you did that. I think that's success. If I could have done one thing differently, I would have. I would have started Sonova much earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Would it have worked much earlier? Yeah. uh, Yeah, it would have. I mean, you know, I'm not going to name names because they're competitors, but they got started much earlier than mm-hmm. Sonova, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just going to show that Are point. they still around? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn's still here as last time I looked. But. <laughs> true, true. Um, if the world knew me for just one thing, it would be? For just one thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to, I like to think it would be uh, honesty. I'm most proud of? Most proud of uh, family. And last one, what it takes to start a clean energy company is? A lot of, a lot of belief in yourself, a lot of focus and structure uh, that you put yourself on. It, it, in many ways, you're your own worst enemy or your own 
best weapon. Mm. And it takes a lot of more in here. Um, I, I drive the finance people crazy when I say that there's, there's, you can have all the spreadsheets and models and so forth, but they're all wrong. They're either too conservative or too aggressive. Let's be honest, most of us entrepreneurs are probably too aggressive. So what people are really looking for is, is in here, is, is who you are. And are you going to be there when the chips are down? Are you going to do everything that you can and then some? Are you going to do 110% to get their money out or to, to save things and to, to get, keep people's jobs and so forth? And so it, it's, it's really more about how you look at the world and how you can deliver your passion and communicate your passion to others about why you're doing this, whatever this may be. And once you can focus and deliver that passion out there and keep yourself structured, then I think a lot of the others, you know, you got to have some luck, got some of the Almighty's hand and so forth, but, and you got to have a lot of help from a lot of people, but you can make it, you can make it work. Perfect. On that note, please join me in a big round of applause for John Berger. Thank you.